Before we start, this episode contains discussions around abortion and domestic abuse. On Saturday, as London baked in the sun, protesters gathered outside the Royal Courts of Justice in Westminster. Directly above them, the famed red arrows flew past with plumes of red, white and blue trailing behind them to mark the King's official birthday and the trooping of the colour. But a royal celebration wouldn't drown out the crowd's chants. Holding up colourful placards reading, Our bodies, our right to decide. And healthcare, not handcuffs. The protesters were calling for a change to Britain's abortion laws. The protest was sparked by the case of a woman jailed in England for using abortion pills to end her pregnancy at home after it had passed the legal time limit. A lot of my career has been with domestic abuse victims and I have known people who've been in incredibly difficult situations realising that they're pregnant really late on and that there are women for whom they end up in devastating situations as a result of that time limit and I think that impact should also be taken into account. I'm here because it's my body, my choice, and you need to keep the policies and the politics off of our reproductive rights. And you need to free everyone that's been arrested for these stupid laws. For many, it's been a stark reminder that thanks to Victorian laws, abortion is still a crime in Britain. And it sparked a debate in the Houses of Parliament and across the media. Crucially, though, it throws a spotlight on our antiquated abortion laws and government and parliament must look at this outdated legislation and make it fit for the 21st century. This woman knowingly, deliberately killed her unborn child. She didn't need to do that. She knew that it was against the law. Does the law need to be changed? But as pro-choice campaigners call for urgent changes to the law, could it lead to abortion rights rowing back in this country? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a British woman is jailed for abortion. Does the law need to change? My name's Hannah Alothman and I'm a news reporter with the Sunday Times, based up in Manchester. All the protests calling for a change to the laws on abortion were triggered by one recent case. It's a story that led Hannah to a court in Stoke-on-Trent two weeks ago. So I've been following this case for some time, basically since it was first at Magistrates Court last summer. And this involved a woman um, who's now 44 years old and she was sentenced to 28 months in prison for 
inducing her own abortion during lockdown, the judge basically handed down the sentence in this case, which we think is the first of its kind in about a decade. And it has been extraordinary. I think most people in this country were shocked to hear somebody was being sentenced to prison for an abortion. It's not something we expect to hear. Tell us a bit about the woman at the centre of all of this. So she's a mother of three. One of her children has additional needs. She found out that she was pregnant, as I'm sure most people remember, it was difficult to access in-person medical care. So Parliament introduced remote consultations, this emergency legislation. So for pregnancies of up to 10 weeks gestation, if you met certain criteria, the abortion pills would be sent out in the post. Now, actually, this marked a difference from just before the pandemic, when in order to get the pills, you would have had to attend a consultation in person. You'd have to go to an abortion clinic, effectively. And this is all done at home. Yeah, so she, in her consultation with BPAS, the British Pregnancy Advice Service, which are one of the biggest abortion providers in England, she told them that she was about seven weeks pregnant and they supplied the pills in good faith, telling her that they were being sent out based on the fact that she had been honest with them. The pregnancy was actually a lot more advanced. We found out at the court hearing it was somewhere between 32 and 34 weeks. So that's sort of seven months gestation, um, which is very different to the seven weeks that BPAS thought it was when they supplied that medication. Hugely different. And do we know what her state of mind was at the time? The judge used the phrase emotional turmoil and, and he highlighted the fact that when she made this decision to take these pills, it was at the most intense period of lockdown. The court heard that she now suffers significantly as a result of her actions, that she still has flashbacks and the phrase the judge used was she's racked by guilt by what she's done. So we know there has been a significant impact on her since. And Hannah, I don't want to linger over the details of this, but how did the authorities realise that something illegal had happened? So my understanding of this is she took the pills at home and she delivered this fetus, which was stillborn. The terminology that they used was that breath was never drawn. And basically she called 999 and was taken to hospital by paramedics. And my understanding is that it was medical staff who initially alerted the police. Police visited her in hospital and she told them what she had done. I mean, it sounds horrifying. As you said, she's been sentenced to 28 months in prison. What did the judge say to explain the sentence? The difficulty with this sentence is for a lot of criminal offences, there are specific sentencing guidelines where you would get a minimum and a maximum uh, for this particular offence. There are no sort of sentencing guidelines that walk a judge through where their sentencing should lie. There's also very little precedent. There's only been a small handful of these cases and all the circumstances of those have been very, very different. He said that the aggravating factors 
were that there had been a degree of planning. So she had done a number of internet searches into concealing a pregnancy and miscarriage. The main mitigation was the fact that she is a mother of three children, including one with additional needs. She was described as a loving and devoted mother and that her children relied on her, in particular, the child with additional needs. She had no previous convictions, no history with probation, and she was deemed a low risk of reoffending. But basically, she was sent immediately to prison. And Hannah, this case has shocked a lot of people in this country. So just take us through the legality, step by step. So what exactly is the law on accessing abortions? What was it to begin with in England and Wales? And how has it changed? Yeah, I think there's a misconception that abortion in um, England and Wales is available and legal on demand. And that, that's not at all the case. Terminations are permitted up to 23 weeks and six days of gestation, but only if two doctors agree that continuing the pregnancy would be harmful to the mother's physical or mental health or that of her existing children, or if there is a substantial risk that the fetus would be born seriously disabled. There's no time limit for abortions if there's evidence of a fatal fetal abnormality or a significant risk to the mother's life. But if those criteria are not met... Basically, the 1861 Offences Against the Person Act applies, and that carries a maximum sentence of life in prison. So basically, it is still a criminal act in this country unless you fall into those exemptions. So if you had an abortion at 10 weeks, even, it's technically still a crime, but it's allowed because of an exemption. Yes, exactly. It just gives women exemption from prosecution. It's a medical procedure that is governed by the criminal law rather than medical regulation. I think people would be shocked to realise that because we sort of assume that abortions have become kind of accepted by society within those boundaries, certainly. But just tell us how it actually plays out at the moment. I mean, how common are abortions in the UK? According to the people working in the sector, one in three women will have an abortion in her lifetime. Wow, that's much higher than you'd think. It is much higher than you'd think because I suppose it's something that people don't often talk about or it's something that maybe people are ashamed of. Then it's actually one of the most common medical procedures in England and Wales. Really? And is that number increasing? In 2021, there were 214,256 abortions for women residents in England and Wales, which is the highest number since the Abortion Act was introduced in 1967. And you mentioned the pills by post, which is obviously what made a difference in this particular case. We know that's how the abortion was conducted. And just tell us, how has that changed the way people are able to access abortions in this country? So previously, if you'd needed to access abortion care, you would have had to attend in person. You now have the telemedicine as well, and that's only up to 10 weeks. That's not up to the 24 weeks. So if, if you have this remote consultation, they will then send the pills out to your home address and you can just take those at home. 
this originally was time limited, but Parliament following the success of this and the way that it helped providers to provide services to women, for example, in remote communities or perhaps who were unable to travel for various reasons, Parliament agreed to extend this legislation and it, and it has now been made permanent. And Hannah, I know you've been looking at cases where women have been investigated or charged over their abortions before in this country. How common are those cases? So it's really hard to get data on this, but from what we have been able to ascertain and also just anecdotally from speaking to people in the sector, they say that these cases are increasing, that the number of requests that they get from police forces, for example, for women's medical records, are increasing. So from the figures that our data team managed to find, in 2018 there were two people reported to the police over these types of offences. By 2021 that had risen to 28. In quarter one of 2022 there had already been 30 reports. We think very few of these have gone to trial, but their concern is that more of these will go to trial. So they've said women have had their phones seized, their computer equipment taken off them for things like if they have previously visited an abortion clinic for a consultation, decided not to go through with the procedure, which apparently many people do. They go for that initial consultation and then change their mind. But if they've then later had a natural miscarriage or stillbirth, they've then found themselves under suspicion and under police investigation. So that's the kind of thing that people Ah, in the sector are telling me about. That's horrendous because it could, I suppose, be completely accidental and obviously a very traumatic time. As Hannah mentioned earlier, the judge in this case had little to go on in terms of sentencing guidelines because these cases are so rare. But in her previous reporting, Hannah has spoken to women who were prosecuted for similar crimes around 10 years ago. So I did speak to a woman who was jailed after having an abortion. She very, very bravely agreed to tell me her story on condition of anonymity She was very vulnerable at the time and wasn't able to sort of freely access medical care that she needed. She said she'd never been in trouble before. She said she'd never even had a detention at school. But she was in this abusive relationship and she she said that she had irregular periods and so she didn't realise that she was pregnant at first and... She had been to hospital for routine blood tests for an unrelated condition. Those blood tests didn't pick up that she was pregnant. Another couple of months went by and she realised that the reason that she'd missed a period was because she was likely to be pregnant. She took a test which confirmed that. And when she told her boyfriend, she said he, he grabbed hold of her, he pushed her against the wall, pulling her hair and banging her head off the wall, screaming in her face... Abortion pills are available to buy online illegally. And so she bought pills online, believing she was eight to 10 weeks pregnant. And the pregnancy was a lot more advanced than she thought. And she gave birth to a a 30 week fetus and then was 
bleeding a lot, was ill, had to seek medical help. And she told medics at the hospital that she'd taken those pills and police turned up at her bedside and she was sent to prison for two years. She said she was worried that if she didn't plead guilty, she would face a much harsher punishment, that she may end up going to prison for life. I mean, Hannah, it just sounds so traumatic. It's a case that highlights that a lot of the people who are having late abortions are often the most in the most desperate circumstances. This is one of the main arguments that advocates of law reform make. Because the women who are falling outside the law are those very vulnerable women. So they're potentially immigrant women who don't have formal status and can't access NHS services. It's potentially women who've been trafficked, women who are in violent and coercive relationships, women with severe mental health problems or learning difficulties. Most women are able to access abortion, but the law is criminalising those who are already very disadvantaged. Coming up, why attempts to change the law could lead to abortion rights becoming more restrictive. That's in just a moment. It's such a complicated story, really, because on the one hand, as you say, these are women in often the most desperate, disadvantaged circumstances. On the other hand, the case that we've just seen, somebody being sentenced to 28 months, that was a pregnancy that was seven months in. This is in the third trimester, well over the limit for abortion in this country. If she wasn't jailed, would there be a point in having a limit? You know, if you're the judge in this situation, what are you supposed to do if you're following the rule of law? This is what the judge said himself. He said his role as a member of the judiciary is not to change the law or or redefine the law. It is his role to determine the punishment based on the law as it stands. So he said if people don't agree with that law, it is up to Parliament to change it and it is up to the people who disagree with it to lobby for that change. And we accept that that there is a framework in which women can access abortion and she chose not to do that and to go outside that legal framework and that that is wrong. But I think the question that has repeatedly been raised is the punishment proportionate to the crime. What outcome is it trying to achieve? What will the impact be on the children who are left behind when she's gone to prison? Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's the question, really. If we all think there probably should be a time limit on when abortion is allowed, barring those cases where it's life-threatening or all the risks that we know about, which are an exemption already, but what do you think we should suggest is the punishment for people who do it outside of that time limit? What the campaigners for decriminalisation say, there should be limits, there should be a framework. And, you know, there are rules about how much morphine you can dispense or when you can amputate a limb. 
So they're saying that abortion should also exist within that medical regulation framework rather than within the scope of the criminal law because they say it's not inherently a criminal act. It is a medical procedure. And that would take a serious change to the law. As things stand, though, you know, as the judge seemed to imply, for the people who are left having to uphold the law, whether they think it's a good one or not, it must be really difficult. I mean, why are we seeing so many police cases around this issue at the moment? Those working in the sector believe that a lot of these reports are coming from medical staff. They're not entirely sure why that is. I don't believe there's any obligation for medical staff either to make those reports. So, Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so they're doing that sort of by choice. It is the police's job to investigate crimes as they are reported to them. But I think there are questions to be asked over how they do that. Those interests have to be balanced. The women who are perpetrators, as the law would see them, are also often victims as well. So that's potentially something that needs to be looked at. And Hannah... It feels so odd for us to be talking about abortion as such a contentious issue in this country. It's something we're much more used to sort of hearing in America, where it's pretty much changed the political landscape and created a real culture war around the subject. Are we sort of seeing some of that creeping into the UK? This is not particularly my view. This is something that people in the sector have told me is that they believe that that sort of culture wars politics from America is filtering over the Atlantic and some of those attitudes are influencing medical staff. Some of those attitudes are making abortion much more of a politicised issue here. I don't know if there's any weight in that, but that is one theory. And a lot of the coverage of this case has been quite sympathetic in a way. Just going back to the judgment itself, there's a real sense of horror at what's happened, but also incredulity that a woman is now going to spend more than two years in prison for it. Do you think that shows that it, whether it's the, the media, the public in general, are quite pro-choice? YouGov polling from the 5th of June showed that 85% of people in the UK think that women should have the right to an abortion. That's still pretty overwhelming in terms of support for access to abortion. But it is a very divisive issue and there are very strong feelings on both sides. Mm. There were protests last weekend, a big one in London and several smaller ones across the country basically objecting to this sentence and calling for abortion law reform. The changes a few months ago in the United States kind of made me look more into what our laws are like because I think a lot of people assume that we do have free access to abortion maybe apart from the time limits and I at that time was quite shocked to read that it's you know two doctors have to both agree and I think our current laws really rely on two doctors already being pro-choice but if culture changes and those doctors happen to have different personal opinions our laws are incredibly fragile and they could restrict access to abortion kind of just as professionals and I don't think that 
doctors should have that level of power over women's lives. What do we want? Choice! What do we want it? Always! Lots and lots of abortions take place every year in England, Wales. Over 200,000 take place every year. Many would say that we do have access to legal abortion in this country. Do you think there should be a time limit? And in which case, if there is a time limit, what should happen if women need to be outside of that time limit? I, I think the main thing is when a lot of people talk about time limits and concerns, they're often the people who don't want any abortions. That's the key. I think people are disingenuous about when they argue this because the vast, vast majority of those 200,000 abortions every year happen before 12 weeks. So really it's not an issue. Those that happen later are in very specific, very difficult circumstances. And so therefore I absolutely want those to be able to continue because actually that's not something that we should be telling a woman to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term for, for the law. The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists and the Royal College of Midwives are among more than 30 signatories to a statement urging what they call essential reform to abortion law as soon as possible. Thank you, Mr Speaker, uh, and thank you for allowing this urgent question on this important matter of public policy. And as we know... And we saw in the wake of that sentencing urgent questions in both the House of Commons and the House of Lords and renewed effort by cross-party MPs to change the law so that abortion is decriminalised. Has the government undertaken any review of the necessary regulations that would be required if the criminal law was removed from this area of healthcare law in England and Wales? And has the government engaged with the Royal Colleges and Professor Dame Leslie Regan, the Women's Health Ambassador, about establishing a new regulatory regime for abortion that does not involve putting women in prison. How likely is that to happen? The government seemed reluctant to bring forward any legislation. Access to abortion in England and Wales has been settled in law by Parliament and we do not intend to change this. It takes nothing away from our commitment to ensuring access to safe, regulated abortion. In this specific case, cross-party MPs led by Labour MP Diana Johnson and former Conservative Minister Caroline Noakes have called for this woman to be pardoned. They have been, for some time, leading the calls for abortion law reform. But then, if on the other side, there's also appetite to reopen the debate as well. Oh, to make it more strict yes. than it is already. Uh, the age of legislation is irrelevant. What it does is, what is important, that is that Section 58 provides a vital protection, not just for the person, uh, but also for the most vulnerable person of all, the unborn child. So will the Minister com commit to protect the sanctity of life as other developed European nations where the average is 14 weeks and instead uphold Section 58? And will the Minister now urgently review safeguards to the pills-by-post scheme to ensure that such a case doesn't ever happen again. People who uh, would probably describe themselves as pro-life say that there have been advances in medical technology since 1967, that premature babies are being born earlier and being able to survive outside the womb. And they're saying that as a result of that, the time limit should be reduced to less than that 24 weeks. That's so interesting. So if it did come back, the legislation was debated in Parliament, it could go either way. I mean, I suppose in a way that's probably why campaigners would say 
abortion needs to be decriminalised full stop because you can't have a situation where women's rights keep rowing back. Yes, I think if it was decriminalised, it would then be difficult to make it again a criminal offence. I think this parliament, as it stands, is largely the same group of MPs who voted to allow telemedicine to continue, which is sort of the biggest revolution in abortion law since the 1967 Act has been introduced. So I would say that looking at it in the round, parliament, I would say, is it would come down on the side of pro-choice. And Hannah, why do you think this case has grabbed so much attention? There hasn't been a case like this in around a decade that I'm aware of where a woman has been sent to prison. And, you know, in the UK and across the globe, I think women are feeling that their rights are under attack, that they're actually getting worse, not better. When you look at some other countries, Poland, for example, and some states in America, we do have fairly good access to abortion, which I, for one, am grateful for. But it's highlighted that women's lives are often sort of governed by men. Um, This law was passed in 1861 when women didn't have the right to, to vote, let alone sit in Parliament. And I can certainly see the value of having that debate again in Parliament against the backdrop of this much more modern society and basically re-examining how we want the law and the regulation around abortion to look like in 2023. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, award-winning news reporter at The Sunday Times, Hannah Al-Othman. You can find all of Hannah's work on this issue at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. You might also be interested in some of her other reporting, including her investigation into the murder of Agnes Wanjiru in Kenya, allegedly at the hands of British soldiers. It's an extraordinary piece and has won a number of awards. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>